Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad you could join me. As the season, well, winds down for some of us, it's already wound all the way down for many of you. But uh, if you're still doing it, more power to you. Maybe I'll see you out there. <clears throat> Great show in store for you. Orvis endorsed bird hunting guide Ryan Owney talks wild birds and Wyoming, among other things. We'll talk dog handling, of course hunting strategies and tactics, uh, and maybe some Wyoming-specific questions. One of my favorite states, maybe because I don't get to spend near enough time there. But we got something for everybody else as well. Your training goals for the off-season, I asked that question and you gave me some great answers. And then in our Handle It segment, uh, another energy supplement that I like that uh, may uh, help your dog as well, whether it's for the rest of this season or next. So stick around right here on the Upland Nation, brought to you by LandTrust.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, MidwayUSA.com, True Lock Choke Tubes, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, Pointer Shotguns, and Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. Well, not getting out much more until the end of the season, but uh, am getting to the range working on next year and the challenges I faced quite often this year, um, including low quail shots, low going away shots. Uh, The quail vexed me over and over this season. So I am uh, starting with that and then I'll be working on a few other versions of clay target uh, imitations of bird shots. But that's the one, and maybe you know this, you know, if you've hunted, especially valley quail, uh, scale quail, uh, gambles quail in particular, they'll get up just high enough to clear the, the, the shrubs they don't want to get up much higher because the Cooper's Hawks will get them. So uh, learning to shoot at about two, three, four feet off the ground when it's safe uh, is the biggest challenge I'm facing these days. It's all about getting your face down on the stock, and that is not easy on those low shots. So uh, doing that at the clays course on those bounding rabbits, for example, and then there are a couple places where I can uh, set up in a spot where the, the targets are going straight away. And then, of course, with my new uh, target thrower here, can do some of that pretty easily. What about you? Well, I asked on social media, now that the season is winding down, what will you be working on come training season? I meant for your dog, and that's pretty much <laughs> the answers I got. Lynn Glock, hey, I feel for you. Heal, which should have been done already. Yeah, I understand. Rick White uh, talks about training his students to be more effective with their shotguns to avoid the look from their well-trained dogs. There you go. Yeah, so Rick's going to be training the humans. Just don't turn the collar up too high. Oh, my. Uh, Don Williams looks like a utility test on the agenda for you, so duck search. Yeah, that is probably, in my NAVD experience, the, the one that is the hardest to train for simply because you need the right kind of water, so good luck on that. Um, Eric Thompson, hit the table, clean up some trash, and polish up this little diamond of a dog. Yeah, young dog, uh, looking good. I know you had a pretty good season. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, John Todd, good luck with your uh, utility test. David Klopp, you're in the same boat I am. Steadiness, a constant challenge. Bruce Fizinski, 
Retrieving. Yeah, Travis Hampton. Stop to flush, honoring and retrieving with my younger dog, which means you probably have an older dog, and that'll help quite a bit. Um, Lots of great stuff here, stuff that's on my to-do list as well. Uh, Coco, 14 years old, Jack Leventry says, they're going to work on a little R&R. Yeah, good on you. Keep up the good work, Coco. And finally, good luck to you, Paul Hageman. You're going to clear out your sinuses and improve your sense of smell since you're dogless for a while. Yeah, yeah probably a good plan, and uh, hope it works for you. The Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food. You know, they have a, a wide variety of formulations depending on the life stage your dog is at. Maybe the life stage you're at, too, for that matter. A wide variety of options. Uh, you can learn more about them at ProPlansport.com. Take a look at the importance there. Lots of nutritional information there. Purina is at the forefront when, they, when we talk about dog nutrition. Uh, amino acids, critical to muscle development, especially that time after the exercise to promote recovery. If you hunt two days in a row, that is essential. Learn more about that and the dog food at ProPlansport.com. And Pointer Shotguns have been with us for a long time. Did you see the cover of Shotgun Sports Magazine? Oh, yeah. One of those beautiful case-colored side-by-sides. Take a look at all of their models uh, with all sorts of color choices. It's crazy to talk about the color choices we now have, at least at PointerShotguns.com. From nickel, of course, traditional, and bluing, traditional, to the Cerakote, green, bronze, and gray, and all those case colorings. Was talking with somebody about how that's done, and uh, it's it's the master guy in the factory who takes that raw metal uh, before it's of course put together into the gun, but it is made as a receiver, and then he takes that and dips it here and shakes it there and pushes it in and pushes it out. It's got to be hot, smelly, and very challenging, but the work is worth the result. Learn more at Pointer Shotguns. Maybe it's my favorite state because I don't get there often enough and I always have a good time when I do. It's Wyoming. And yes, there is some incredible bird hunting there. That's what we'll talk about with Ryan Oni. Ryan is Wyoming Wings and Waters. Pro guide, Orvis endorsed, uh, and also, hey, Ryan, we're related a little. I hunted with some Tacoma Mountain Dogs last weekend. Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Yeah, hey, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine your dogs are as good as the ones I was behind last week. Tell me all about your your dog string. Yeah, so I got, uh, like you, you just nailed on it, I got a Tacoma, my oldest dog, coming up on eight uh got her straight out of Tacoma Mountain setters and she's a patriot dog um obviously patriot's been gone longer than eight so she was artificial but uh yeah and and then patriot dog and then she's double patriot on both sides nice and then yeah and then um let's see I got uh what six more let's see six more setters 
Most of them got that Tacoa string in them. My probably my number two dog is comes from Paladin. I think I'm saying that right. Out of Mesquite Ridge Kennels. He's uh, Oklahoma, I believe. Drove up the uh, north northern Oklahoma. Drove to Kansas and down in Oklahoma to get him. And Paladin was a, a Patriot son. Wow. So yeah, but fairly closely related there and. Uh, you know, he's. I, re, I really enjoy the way those uh, Tacoma Mountain Dogs run. Oh, so do I. And in fact, um, um, I was hunting with the owner of Tacoma Mountain Sunrise. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So we, yeah. we we had a lot of fun. We talked a lot of dogs, and uh, including those Patriot dogs. Most of the most of the dogs my other friend had were Patriot dogs. So. Anyway, good time. We we don't want to go too deep into that world, or we'd, we everybody would fall asleep. But yeah. uh, you, you are kind of partial to the setters. I know you got a little bit of everything else, but you do like those setters. Is there a particular reason you like them out there in Wyoming? Yeah, you know what? I I always find that the setters have just they they have a good range to them on how I li- I like to work. I got a lot of one fifty to. 250 yard dogs and i really like that and i like the their their noses they seem to wyoming can be fairly dry they seem to be good dogs in the heat for the most part every dog's different Mm -hmm. but uh you know in poor scent conditions the setters tend to have a fairly good nose still really really enjoy yeah um and then you know the their uh ability to, to retrieve naturally is okay they don't have a great reputation for it so some might even uh suggest that it would be poor but uh i don't i don't uh have that top priority on my list the retrieving i want guys to enjoy their time find birds and so i want my dogs to find them a lot of birds hold their hold their points and be really steady and setters are so trainable for that you know, yeah. to have a good nose and be really steady. And the retrieving is bottom of my list for, for what I do. And, and um, I can always train that into them. Or I can go pick up the bird for the client. So, <laughs> Or you could hunt with a wire hair guy who did all the retrieving on all the pointed birds by the Tacoa dogs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yep. and, and it was so funny because they... Um, they just they they figure out what's going on and flicks heading for that down bird and they say oh go ahead we're off and they're hunting again already. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I've actually had that uh, happen a few times. I've had some uh, hunting my Springer. I can't exactly remember why I had my Springer out. Um, funny, I hear that a lot out. from Springer owners. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I love her. I love the Springer for the pheasant hunting, but for whatever reason, chuck hunting, I had her out once and uh you know the setters went and found all the dogs and then trying to keep the springer on heel when there's a down bird yeah and uh by the time the springer went and got the bird it was like the setters were already out there 250 yards on point on another covey so that's you know it did different dogs for different reasons i got yeah one well springer and i actually have uh two short hairs as well so yeah i was going to ask about the the crop tail dogs you have any particular reason you kind of went over to the dark side there <laughs> yeah yeah there is uh the ver- versatility yeah is, uh, probably one of them yeah you know that and i nailed on the 
the range of the setters and the hot nose and and their their trainability just to be really steady is is incredible and the the short hairs i've i've found i only went to the dark side let's see four years ago <laughs> so not you know i haven't been in the short hair world that long but i find that the short hairs are a lot more stubborn yeah to train yeah you know they're very natural with with their their ability to find your birds and their drive and their their want to and determination to just go go hunt mm-hmm. but uh they can be fairly stubborn and and when you're doing your steps and your dog training steps they i i find that they're a little more stubborn than the than the setters well you, you just used a word i've never heard before when it, uh, in dog training and you said steps uh, what do you mean by that? And, and let's take a few steps together. Help me with uh, the way you train a dog. Yeah, so steps as in there's a mul- multiple different steps as it when you get a dog from a puppy. You know, a lot of it is just your uh, how I start. A lot of just uh, house commands mm-hmm. to start. Just get the, the puppy used to being with you and the other dogs and and uh, the, not all my dogs come in the house, but you still use house commands. Sure. Um, I do, at least. So um, start, start with that, getting the puppy familiar with uh, your area. And then, and then you start going into the bird hunting world. And, you know, I do uh, some uh, bird introduction. Always start there. Yeah. Maybe grab a pigeon or, or a chucker or paint, buy, buy some birds and... and uh, you know, let it let the puppy chase them around and all that and then you start getting into the steps of the the woe training you know you actually start not only introducing a bird but you get them starting to be steady to that bird and i love to do a lot of you know i start as a puppy um doing s- some sight points just because they're used to seeing that bird that from the bird introduction and you know maybe then starting to warm by sight mm-hmm. and all that and then i go into steps of you know actually starting to maybe hide birds let them let them find it and from there um go go put them on some planted birds yeah whether it be you know in a um uh, i'm spacing the name the the launch bird launchers sure so whether it be you know in a in a bird launcher, let them go um, find a bird. And a lot of times it, my, my steps are just you know once they hit that scent and really really key into that scent, I'm launching that bird. Yeah, they don't have to be perfect as a puppy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that. Oh, they just turned on a scent, launch that bird. You know, well, because well, they start go- creeping into that launcher. And you can start having problems with them just getting close to that launcher. Maybe the launcher makes noise and they're scared of it or maybe vice versa. They're not scared of it, but they start figuring out what that launcher is. And instead of going on point, they just go up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I, I, I recommend for a lot of people. That's the closest simulation we're going to get to a wild bird. If you want to call it that Mm -hmm. the the real key, here's one that's been vexing me and I'm writing on this for somebody right now, but, and that is, Okay, we, we teach woe as basically an obedience command. You know, hey, you're running along or you're headed for the, the highway. I say, woe, you stop. So that's one thing. And then you're in the field and you smell a bird and you stop naturally. 
how do you combine the two? What's the what's that key juncture where the dog is on point, but you know and he knows I really want to break this point and crash in. Um, is that when you use woe if you use it at all? So for me, I as as they're young and during my training, mm-hmm. I I do use woe during that situation. You know, yeah. on on both situations, so it's. You you kind of hit on an interesting point. It, it, I never really thought of it like that, but yes, in, in bo- both situations, I would use. Well, you know, I see them trying to creep into, you know, turn on a scent really hard, and I'm a hundred yards back. Yeah, and I see yeah. them creeping in. And I'm like, hey, Doug, whoa, you know, <laughs> and get them, yeah, and uh, get them to whoa up during training, definitely. And I like to teach them along with whoa a stem a light stem yeah you know a level that every dog's different the short to go back on the stubbornness of the short hairs a couple of my short hairs i have to stem them on on like a medium four even um and <laughs> to get them to whoa and yeah. i tell them whoa as they're young i get them used to the whoa along with a stem yeah so yeah. that way when i turn to the field on wild birds and I'm actually in a guiding situation. I yell, whoa, all the birds flush yeah. before the guys can get a shot. Yeah. And I like look like a jerk. You yeah, know? well, I uh, hey, by the way, you get used to that. Take my word for it. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Let, but, uh, yeah. No, so I that's what I use well for both situations. And I really like to stop using woe as they get older. And I see them... T- if they do start to creep um, a little too early, mm-hmm. I hit them with a, a low stim. Righto. And don't even say anything. Yep. And, you know, it's surprising how many guys you can, oh, for the lack of a better term, fool, even though I don't want to say I'm fooling guys. But it's surprising how many guys you can actually fool just thinking that you're just so in control of the dogs <laughs> without saying anything. Yeah. I've been told that, that – you don't even say anything and the dogs just work perfectly and you're so in control of them and you don't even whistle or anything. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, I've, you know, they always go through the, the training where, where they start learning that, uh, you know, commands through the, the collar. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm becoming a real believer in what <clears throat> I'll just call stealthy field work mm-hmm. i use the tone and the vibrate and uh, yep. you know all the capabilities of the the collar that are quiet uh, <clears throat> this year in particular it's every it seems like every covey i've come come to has been really jumpy uh from the beginning to the end of the season so that, yes. helped, that you know maybe that got us into three more shots this season but it's just three shots i wouldn't have got otherwise exactly well and then when you're in a situation like i am where where guys are relying on those three extra shots yeah. because they, you know they're they're paying money for those three extra shots <laughs> essentially so so you you kind of have to to learn to be a pretty stealthy hunter which is so in some situations kind of a bummer because people want to chat and get to yeah. know you yeah. and even if they do know you they want to you know how how's life been and all that and mm-hmm. you know tell me about this mountain here and all this and which is wonderful. It's a great part of being outdoors and watching the dogs work. But at the same time, 
there's something to be said about that stealthy hunting. Well, that's the challenge being a pro guide. You gotta you gotta manage stage manage that stuff. Yes. Uh, hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast, everybody. I'm Scott Linden, your host. That's Ryan Oni, Orvis endorsed guide out of Wyoming. Living in, uh, well, a place that I love in the summertime, but I hate in the wintertime, Cody, Wyoming. Um, you ever get over to the Buffalo Bill Museum? Yes, I have a few times, you uh, know. Wonderful place. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. A lot of the guys that come. Oh, yeah. They, they, they really enjoy taking, you know, if they come for, say, four days, they might do two days hunt, take a day off, two days hunt. Yeah. And during that day off, they really enjoy just spending the day there it's it's definitely big enough where you can spend a whole whole day oh, easily and if you like it. guns the there's an incredible gun collection there yes um <clears throat> but let's get back to the hunting and, and wyoming in particular you know it's not on the it's not on the you know everybody's bucket list as a hunting destination i've had a heck of a time there over and over and over again and uh, well, why don't you just tell us where, what kind of hunting you're doing there, and what kind of habitat you're you're going to? Of course, yeah. So Wyoming is really neat in the diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be the only thing that's got above every other state is the sagebrush. Yeah, yeah. By far, no doubt, plenty of evidence supporting it. It's the number one state to hunt sagebrush. But that season is so limited. It's like, what do you do outside of it? Mm-hmm. And also, there are species of concern. So it's like you can't just overflood Wyoming with sage grouse hunters because if there's species of concern, it's like, what what species do we have out there that's not of concern that we can hunt a lot of? And that would be probably number two would be the chuckers in Wyoming. We can have fairly decent chucker years especially in the Bighorn Basin of the state, which is the um, in between the Absorca Yellowstone, the Absorca Mountains, and the Bighorn Mountains mm-hmm. in the northern part of the state. Mm-hmm. It can be fairly good chucker numbers. You know, you're hunting not much grass. There's some cheatgrass hills um, that the, there's a lot of grazing in Wyoming, so that they graze down. There's not much grass left so that you're really looking at more limited grass country and a lot of sagebrush country and steep rocky hillsides canyons everything you would think uh chuckers steep and rocky (laughs) anywhere a devil bird would live uh that's wyoming the badlands of wyoming um thin habitat can even have some chuckers in it yeah in fact i was struck at how um similar that habitat habitat was to everywhere else i hunt chuckers mm-hmm. yeah and if you were just dropped down you wouldn't know that you were in wyoming per se um what about huns and sharpies are are you chasing many of those yes so the the sharp tail hunting it isn't uh you know as known as say the Dakotas or the or Montana, mm-hmm. and sa- same as the Huns, but uh, the sharptail hunting on the eastern part of the Bighorn Mountain Range, so Buffalo Sheridan area, can have fairly good numbers um, in 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 good wet years. It seems where the grass is is has grown a lot, 
And there is a good amount of Huns over there, but the Huns are weird in Wyoming. Hmm. So there are a lot of Huns in Wyoming in the middle of the prairie where you're in Montana, you're hunting the edges of or farm fields. Yeah. Still in the prairie, but on the edges and all that. In Wyoming, you can be out in the chucker country, you know, 50 miles into the, in the prairie, the desert. Even. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's, there's just Huns littered in there. Well, you know, and that's, so it's, it's really unique. It, it is, but less so than you might think. I have had that experience in three other states in the last five years. You know, I've been told that, and I don't know if it's, if it's changing or I just wasn't as knowledgeable as I thought on Huns, because I, I admittedly don't get to hunt uh, other states all that often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so, I, th- I think your first theory is correct. I, I think that the Hungarian partridge population is evolving in some way. I believe it. <laughs> so, so what are most of your trips? Uh, are they for one or the other, or is it a mixed bag? Or uh, tell me about a typical day in the life of an Orvis endorsed guide. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of the hunters that come out, they they do that typical. Well, just take me to where the birds are. I don't really care what they are. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a lot of that. So, um, and that would be, probably be huns and chuckers, and probably be in the early season before they get pushed around and they're they're hunted and you know predators get them and all, all sorts of things. But but uh, I would say not the more so the huns even, and that would just because a lot of the the people that want to come. They they don't want to put in the, the work. They want the, they <laughs> like the, the and you know I don't want to I want to don't want to diss on anyone because I have some amazing people that come out that are in great shape and all that. But uh, um, they they know their capabilities and you know it's hard to justify paying good money for just having to kill yourself up and down mountainsides all day long. Um, so. With that said, I would say a lot of guys are like, well, if there's a good hunt population on like a flat football <laughs> or somewhere, just take me there. <laughs> oh, no, but no. <laughs> take me to where the birds are. So yeah, if I have yeah. to put in the work, I have to put in the work. And I tell guys uh, the same, you know, every single person I get, I, I, I tell them the same thing. And it's it's really, well, if you want to go to the, where the birds are, usually we have to put on the miles in the truck. And on our legs, so yeah, um, you're putting in both. We get we gotta get to the middle of nowhere, and then when we're in the middle of the nowhere, we we most likely will have to put on those uh, leg miles as well. So you know, one of the things uh, I was writing a piece for somebody a while back, and I, and I somehow came across a reference to pheasants in Wyoming, down there maybe I want to say in the southeast corner ish that general area. Is that a real thing, or are those all planted birds that the state's putting in there? So Wyoming's also unique. Going back to that, the diversity thing is um, there's a lot. Okay, excuse me. I'll I'll start over. There's not a lot. There's a decent amount of wild, purely wild pheasants in Wyoming. Mm. Mm. There are some planted areas, you know, that they release pheasants, and you buy a little – not 
100% positive because I only do wild bird hunting, but I think you buy a little permit for sure. Like one of them is called yellowtail and you buy You have to buy a little yellowtail permit and they tell you what days they're releasing birds. Oh. So you could expect more and all that. And, you know, I do a lot of, uh, there's some public land pheasant hunting, but a lot of it's going to be on Russian olive creek bottoms and, uh, um, we get some cornfields, but you actually are cornfields are kind of hard to hunt. You'd want it cut most likely, and then they all move to the Russian olive. Sure. Bottom, yeah. Russian olives, uh, cattails, willows, usually on creek bottoms is your best pheasant hunting around here. Did, um, as long as the farmer doesn't plow road to road, ditch ditch lines with uh, Russian olives still in it. So, so that noxious. Noxious weed is very important here yeah, as let, far as pheasants go. Let's hear it for dirty farming. Yeah, dirty farming. Yep. So, no, even around uh, um, Cody area, you know, you, Cody to Thermopolis um, is mostly prairie, but as you get around Cody and around Thermopolis, there's some farming. And same as every single town in the Bighorn Basin here, you know, Basin, Grable, Level Powell, they all have some farming and mm-hmm. some dirty farming, and they all uh, have a decent amount of pheasants. This year, especially, was a was a good year for pheasants. So, and well, in Wyoming, good year. Yeah. If you go out with a couple guys, and the limit is three. If you go out with a couple guys and uh, put up, you know, twelve roosters and get your each guy gets a limit. That would be a really good day. Oh, also, it's not like you're putting up a hundred birds or anything. But they, these are again purely wild birds so well you know my experience has been with all of those and um and had a wonderful time out there but to a degree those birds are a little they're in a little slightly different habitat or we don't get enough experience on one or the other of them i remember seeing i was just exercising a dog outside of uh sheridan at a reservoir there one day and there was a there was a covey of sharptails in the russian olives they were perched in the tree i believe it and, and, you know it's maybe they weird, were but maybe they were pushed there or something like that i've had that discussion with a lot of guys lately but what are some of the bigger hunting strategy challenges you face when you're when you're after your primary birds um chuckers yeah so pr- probably the, the the biggest um, hiccup in the in the day would would be that uh well the typical chucker thing yeah is that you you can catch them in the flat where guys are more than willing to walk and me included and you know they run uphill or they run out in front of your dog and then fly downhill before you get to them and so when you think you got them pinned out in the flat or something they they find a way to they know their escape and they find a way to uh, go back to their name of being the devil bird yeah. and so that's really the 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 big thing here and I would I would venture to guess in my in my experience in other states that's re- that's really the main bummer of yeah. chuckers but that's also the thrill and the fun of it too. So, so this year I have been working on. Um, um, the sneakiness aspect of of chuckers in particular but it's also held true for the few huns i've shot this year and also Mm -hmm. for some valley quail and that is um dog goes on point 
probably uphill from you, who knows, it doesn't matter. But at some moment in time, you have to decide, well, where, where am I going to approach? Where are the, where's the covey? Where, how am I going to approach that covey? Do you have a kind of a, a standard tactic for how you do that? And then I'll share some of the things I think I've learned. Yep, of course. So there, there's a few different things. You know, if I was actually hunting myself, um, my my main hunting partner is, um, even though he's getting older, is my, my father. He still gets around in those hills fairly decently. And, and you know, we kind of have a connection where we can just look at each other and do some hand signals and we know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, the hand signals might be like, oh, there's a dog on point. I'm going way up and around and coming uh-huh. down on them. Mm-hmm. And you go into the covey, but go slow because it's going to take me a minute to, and you know, that, that really, because when the dog's on point and they're looking uphill, those chuckers aren't holding. Yeah. You know, 90% of the time they're, they're moving uphill in mm-hmm. front of that dog. Mm-hmm. And so. And I can't go towards the dog and uphill. I have to sneak attack way around and huff and puff to get way above them, you know, say all the way to the top of the hill probably. Yeah, yeah. And then come down. And then suddenly when I get to the top, hey, the dog's still down there 200 yards. But, hey, all the birds are right here. Yeah. And so that would be my tactic when I'm, when I'm actually um, guiding. A lot of times uh, I guide a little different. I know a lot of guys – like to chit chat and walk together and, you know, maybe walk a little bit behind your shooter. So just for safety purposes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but a lot of times I tell them, you know, we have a little meeting, a little powwow start the day and I'll tell them, Hey, it might be, we're going to use a lot of hand signals. These birds, you know, it's November now say these birds have been a little wild and um, I'm going to guide a little different, and I'm going to use a lot of hand signals, and I might be a couple hundred yards from you. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to follow me. Uh-huh. It will mean I always want you to go in towards the dog because yeah. dogs got the scent. The dogs are going to – but I'm going to hustle up and get out in front of these birds and above these birds. Now, I've had a lot of situations that, you know, as far as actually getting some birds in the bag – Mm-hmm. It works. Unfortunately, it's not the best for just, uh, you know, videos or even a, a mental picture of everything that happened because uh, the guy sees the dog work and everything. And, but a lot of times what happens is over the, this little rise, suddenly chuckers are flying at him. And yeah. I'm like, hey, they're coming. <laughs> and so he doesn't get to watch the full thing happen. And, you know, it, it was successful in the fact that, you know, it worked and the birds flew right downhill to them but uh you know it's it you don't get the whole picture of dogs on point oh they're scurrying 20 yards in front of you oh there's one that flew oh the covey's flying you don't get to see everything happen it's just more like suddenly we sneaked attacked them where i snuck around and yeah flushed them to the guy and and suddenly it it worked but it's not the prettiest picture memory for him so well, you know, and to that point, what I figured out a, a lot of times now is I have to use the terrain. I have to hide when I'm moving up mm-hmm. on the top of them. So if there's a knob in between me and the and the covey, I'm going to use that. I'm going to get behind that. I'm not going to crawl on my hands and knees very often, but I've used big boulders and cliffs and other things just so that maybe I can get another five or ten steps on the birds before they see me. 
Of course. Yep. Yep. That that's a great tactic. Yeah. I use that as well. And and uh, you know, and then my my number one tactic, but it's always a bummer because you gotta walk back up. You gotta huff and puff back up to the truck unless you're running two vehicles, but uh or somehow you get a ski shuttle out or a, a lift <laughs> shuttle out there. But um hunting downhill. Yeah. You know. Just hunting straight downhill on these you 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 know, if there's an area that I know chuckers are usually at, it's all wild chucker hunting, so you don't know exactly where the covey's at that day. But uh, you have a good idea. You come straight down on them, <laughs> you know. Um, you, a couple of hunters, you know, 50 yards apart, and maybe even 80 yards apart, and then me in the middle or something, the dog's yeah. going straight down, zigzagging on. <laughs> and they really just feel like they have nowhere to go. Yeah, and a lot of times they just hold until you walk right into them. Unless I, unless the, I've got the gun up, and then they fly downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that boy. was another thing I was going to hit on, though. Is e- even if they do hold, though, they're going to fly. It's going to be those low straightaway shots, so you got to be careful of the dogs. Yep. And and they're going to fly low straightaway and down the hill. And if you want to go chase them again, if it's a big covey, um. There they went another mile down the hill. They can, they can just set their wings and go. And uh, you're looking up and you're like, well, the truck's way up there, and yeah. they land all. Yeah, so yeah. so it's a good tactic for maybe one flush or whatever. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Ryan Awney, Orvis-endorsed guide out of Wyoming. Ryan, you'll be back in a moment. Everybody else, open up your ears and listen to these commercial messages. First, from LandTrust.com. Now, you, you know, we're talking here about hunting wild birds on public access ground, and, and that's wonderful, and I love it. You know, hey, that'll be the next book. But in the meanwhile, if you want a place that you know is going to work and that you know you'll have access, access to it and an exclusive access to land that is managed for wildlife as well as ranching or farming. That's the whole idea. It's kind of like an Airbnb for bird hunters. Go to landtrust.com. Learn more about how it works. It's a DIY option that will allow you to plan ahead, know you've got exclusive access, and that is the key. One day, two days, more than that, landtrust.com. Learn more about them right there. And when you're shooting at those birds, of course, your odds are better when you got good choke tubes in there. TrueLockChokes.com is where I start my search for new choke tubes. The highest quality materials, the most creative and effective engineering, a lifetime warranty, satisfaction guarantee, you name it, they've got it. Whether you need target chokes specialized game bird chokes or anything else learn more about them and what they have to offer you in the way of improved shooting at truelockchokes.com and welcome back ryan awney orvis endorsed guide out of cody wyoming Boy, I had a day or two on that South Fork of Shoshone a few years back. Uh, I know you do some fishing guiding as well down there. What, just out of curiosity, what what are the waters you're working on most? Yeah, the Shoshone. There's the the North Fork, the South Fork, and the main Shoshone. Uh, that's uh, the tailwater that's below 
the Buffalo Bill Reservoir that mm-hmm. runs right through Cody towards Powell. Um, and then even the Bighorn River towards Thermopolis fishes kind of like the the famous section up there in Montana yeah. as well. Nice big fish. The Shoshone has a the, – the tailwater part uh, has – um, to my knowledge, the it, I believe it's still this way, the highest fish count per square mile in the state of Wyoming. Well, I'll have to but make a the, note of that. Yeah, <laughs> but the bighorn, but it doesn't fish like that always, so Just, it's no. kind of interesting. <laughs> Not when I'm does. there. <laughs> no, that, it's because no one's there in, here in the winter. That's when it fishes like that. It's incredible right now. But, yeah, go you know, in the summertime, it, it fishes like there's no fish in the river. Yeah. And then the big horns that where we go for the big fish. Oh yeah, yeah, so. and, they, and they can be a lot of fun. I know I fish that big horn uh, uh, downstream from from you. I think, or maybe maybe upstream now that I think about it, Montana. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any... Well, uh, the, no, that uh, it runs north. So okay, it's kind of weird thinking. It's kind of weird to think like that, but yeah, yeah. Well, well, and then Yellowstone, of course, we run into to Yellowstone where just got permitted there starting last year and it's it's treated as well it's been really good lamar valley yeah and then even on the yellowstone itself there's some big nice cutthroat on the yellowstone right I, there, so I learned how to euro right. nymph on the yellowstone but uh oh, there you go but this is a podcast about bird hunting and bird dogs yeah. so let's talk <laughs> about that you know let's get practical here you got a string of a lot you know 10 dogs you got to do things to keep them in good condition during, before, and after the season, even day to day. Um, do you have a conditioning program for off season? Are you roading these dogs? Is there anything in particular you're doing when they're not hunting? Of course, yeah. So, so some of the younger dogs during the off season they get conditioned by just training, sure. going back through those steps. And, uh, you know, getting some, buying some chuckers, you, you got to get a, in Wyoming, I think, I'm going to say this wrong, I believe it's a chapter 10 um, through the game of fish. Some permit you, to, to have game yeah, birds. Yeah, so the permit where you can actually have yeah. the, you know, chuckers or so on, and, and you got to say where you're going to release them. They can't yeah. be next to the actual wild chuckers that live there. Yeah. Anyway, so it's just the... The training for the younger the dogs, the other dogs that, you know, have have done it for years now, but, you know, the off-season, February, March, April, it's really just running them. Yeah. You know, just on the road, driving a truck and running them, keeping them in condition, that's usually twice a week. Okay. And how far do you go? I mean, how far do you think the dogs go when when you're doing that? I would imagine they're doing 20-mile days yeah. twice Um yeah. Um, two, let's see, uh, I think it's two off days ish, you know, every day is different depending on if I'm getting a, you know, if I'm getting a fishing trip or something yeah. like that. But, um, I try to stick fairly consistent to run them, I would guess about 20 miles or so. Yeah. yeah. And then they get a couple off days and then they run 20 miles again. Are they, um, so, uh, what kind of a pace are they moving at for 20 miles? About, uh, I think I'm driving about 10 miles yeah. per hour. So that, if I recall doing similar things, that that's kind of a, a, a trot-ish, a little faster yeah. than a trot. Yeah. But it's not a, a balls-to-the-wall, full-out run. And I've done that. Um, I 
you know, just like any athlete training, I I feel like there's some need for that. Yeah. Um, I'll go out on a day, and I'll have a mile long stretch on a road, and I'll kick them out, mm-hmm. and I'll drive that road at thirty, and they'll be right on that truck chasing that yeah. truck right at at thirty. Oh, they will. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little under, but I got a couple dogs that can really, really go, and yeah, they'll just uh, full on sprint for a mile, and I I feel like that's good conditioning from just like any athlete needs to change up their training routine and well that's i mean i don't it's all i was just gonna say i don't have that all that often because i don't find that we're really doing that in the field yeah Um, yeah how much sprinting do you need to do in the field two different kinds of muscles though and and a lot of folks really believe in that what about uh foot care do you ever worry about blowing out pads or cracked nails or anything like that especially in the chucker country you you work in I do. I actually have a short hair that I, you know, he, he really great dog, but he tends to, he has this, uh, toenail problem that Ooh. the vet thought they should just remove it and it would fix the problem. And then, and it hasn't. Mm. And so I think he's gets really sensitive on the pad. Yeah. And so after two hard days of hunting, he needs rest for two days. Cause if I do that third day, He'll run three-legged because he's just so sensitive on that pad. So that's kind of a bummer for him. We're looking in the ways to, uh, you know, not maybe cure it. I don't know if it's curable, but to to help manage it. Do you put anything on on their pads? Yep, there's some cream I use. I've used in the past. And, um, you know, but other than that, I personally don't boot my dogs. Yeah. Um, from a puppy, they're out there running in the chucker country, unbooted and everything. And that, you know, I think if, my theory, and I'm I'm not saying I'm right or I'm wrong, but uh, my theory is kind of like a a, a a construction worker always using his hand. if he always used gloves, yeah, you know, he wouldn't have conditioned hands, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have the calluses and all that. And so that's my theory, yeah. <laughs> is that if I'm running them as puppies and they're running all the time, they have nice calloused over paw, paws and they the pads, and they don't have to worry that yeah. about it as much. And I, you know, I feel like there's some truth to it because I really that's all that short hair's the only issue I've really yeah. ever had. Well, um, the toenails stay fairly trimmed, just for me running them sure. twice a week, and then usually in in uh in the season they're they're really conditioned by the time the season comes i can get three or four days wow. out of them fairly easy yes so um yeah so they stay fairly conditioned and the the trimming on their nails mm-hmm. is done just by the land yeah, for the truly. most part <laughs> i i trim their nails once or twice a year maybe wow <laughs> um yeah i know and so Again, not saying I'm right or wrong, but it's it's worked for me so far, and I've never really had any pad issues. They don't rip their pads, and you know they don't seem too sensitive. It's yeah. just that that one dog, and I don't think uh, I honestly don't even think it was the land we were running in that did it. No. He had uh, when I got him, the the breeder showed me his pot and said he he ripped his toenail here on the kennel. And it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> and now I think it's been a problem because um, that same toenail, when he runs, has been ripped further and then ripped in the Ew. hat. And, and yeah, Ew. yeah. So yeah. now yeah. it's just been fully removed and can't grow 
grow back. Wow. And but he still gets sensitive there. So yeah, I don't, sure. you know, com- basing off the nine other dogs and then the dogs I grew up with. Um, I grew I grew up with with uh, setters as well since I was a kid, and we never booted them. I yeah. So, what about what you put in their bellies uh, bef- before a hunt, during a hunt, and after a hunt? Uh, what what kind of a uh, strategic feeding and supplementing uh, program do you use if you use one at all? Yep. So I I stick mostly to. Uh, um, meals after the hunt yeah um they're full daily dose after the hunt and you almost can't feed them enough yeah i don't really listen to the bag <laughs> um i do during the off season when they're only running twice mm-hmm. you know the days they run they might get an extra cup cup and a half mm-hmm. or so and then their off days are they're basically a bit what the bag suggests um and uh whether it be you know per poundage i think i use so i use perina pro plan and i use the active yeah so tied the 30 20 yep yeah and so i think for my setters and short hairs weigh about the same and they're in that 40 45 i my biggest dog is about 50 wow (laughs) yeah i I wish i could say that do you have a bigger dog? Uh, my wire hair is about sixty. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Most people do. I I have some. I have the quick, nimble type of dogs. Yeah, and I have a couple setters that are about thirty-eight. You know. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. So the, wow. I I I enjoy it like that. So, yeah. but anyways, they. Um, I think it's around two and a half or something. Yeah. The Dude, active suggests that that weight. So I just yeah. feed them the full two and a half after they run. Yeah. I find that it before. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people disagree. I've told them this and they disagree. They say now, well, they have no, you know, they're burning through their muscle, you know, yeah, just like yeah. this, you know, you go work out and you have no reserves in your body, your body. They say you use your muscle when you're working out. Well, I'm sure it's the same with dogs, but I, I find that all they do is go use the bathroom every 10 minutes if yeah too full yeah well there's you know again you know go deep into the purina website and you'll learn all the reasons not to feed in the morning and and that's many one of them one of the many Mm -hmm. um what about during the day do you offer them any energy supplements or snacks or anything in their water uh no i am not using supplements yeah yeah well, um, it seems to work, uh, and yeah. part of it, I, I bet a lot of it is that conditioning that's serious. I mean, most people will not run a dog probably 20 miles uh, on anything but a really serious day in the field. So uh, that's got to have a good positive effect. Uh, you know, you, you hunt with a lot of people, whether it's your father, your clients, your friends, or yourself. Uh, let's talk about the things that uh, that you see clients do uh that we probably ought to work on uh whether it's shooting or you know strategy or anything else what what are the things that you you just want to put your face in the palm of your hand yep of course so i would say the number one is probably just uh going back to being the stealthy hunter yeah a a lot of guys just don't want to be a stealthy hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, guy, I say guys is in guys and gals. 
they yeah they just don't they 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 want to talk oh and uh when they see the birds it's a oh there went all the birds <laughs> but right when they yelled there goes the last you know, one <laughs> there was six more that just flushed yeah. too and they could have got up there and yeah yeah so so or oh dogs on point <laughs> and then the birds flew and i'm just like i put you just nailed it i put my head in my palm and i'm like you know put my finger over my mouth show yeah. the whispers whisper sign and i'm like and then they sneak up there and there's one left and i'm yeah. like see what i know i know you want to tell me all the but i'm always paying attention i i get the vibrate that the dog's on point and i'm always looking everywhere i i know the dog's on point yeah. and if, you know if i want you to know the dog's on point i'm usually like maybe a yeah. Or like a waving at you, and and I use my finger and point at the dog, yeah. And it and it works fairly well. But uh, um, I I just say to go along with the this not being a stealthy hunter. A lot of guys just aren't aware of their surroundings. You know. Yeah. They, what do you, you mean really by that? Teach them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So of course the uh, so we go throughout the day, and you know maybe it's their maybe there there could be multiple reasons but let's just use one maybe it's their first time chuck rounding yeah so you're kind of showing them the lay of the land drive in and say yeah this is the technique to you know chuckers usually will be out here feeding here's some cheatgrass here's some cover if it gets too hot there's this hill that they like to run up and it's fairly similar no matter where you're at and then there's this canyon they'll fly down or here's the down and you know whether we're hunting here or 100 miles away it's probably fairly similar and you you just show them kind of what they their habits are and all that and uh and, and here we are hunting now and you see that nice cheatgrass area and it's their feeding time and um you know they're walking they're walking with their head down you know but oh maybe they have to tie their boot lace or something and then oh, they put their earmuffs on, or oh, now the now a plane flew by. I got to stare at the plane. Oh, and now there's birds flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And okay, so we're just... all guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I am yeah, but, too. I but, am too. But it is so, good that you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's just good to kind of know, you know, when you're out there hunting to to kind of know the habits of a chucker, and as you're going down, you. you you're always aware of where the other, you know, and just good to know for safety reasons, you yeah. know, where are the dogs, where are the people and like, Oh wait, not only are the dogs right there, but they're getting a little birdie. And there's that cheatgrass field that the guide was telling me about. Maybe I'm going to get ready here. Yeah. And you know, so that that's, it's not a huge yeah. deal. It's not that big of a deal, but, but it, it it's nice to be aware yeah, and, and I, 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 I like all the help I can get because I figure maybe even one or two more steps closer to that covey is going to help me hit a bird. What about the shooting side of things? Are, are there big errors that most of us make when, when we're uh, approaching a pointing dog? Of course. Yeah, so a huge one that I notice um, that, that – makes me almost want to yell and stop it before the birds even get up uh -huh. 
is the guys will you'll hear click 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 the guys will click off their yeah. safeties yeah. and they'll be pointing their guns yeah already how basically already mounted right at the dog's head yeah and i just want to you know stop everything don't even care about that cubby and be like what are you doing yeah <laughs> so, you know not to be a, a, a jerk but uh i mean safety's always number 1 and and, and it's always it's always good to just uh, be, you know, it's always fun to get birds, but it's, it's good to be safe. And <laughs> and there's really no need to be pointing a gun at a dog's head. Yes, the birds are going to be getting up there, but um, when you're shooting trapped you, or sporting clays, do you point your gun at the sporting clays machine? And then, I mean, I'd, maybe they do, maybe that's how they <laughs> shoot, but I'd prefer someone not to point right at the dog and then swing their gun through yeah okay so um be a little bit more situationally aware and to yep. translate that to uh your firearms handling as well yes of course. what about etiquette regarding the dogs you know well uh, we see a dog on point uh, whether it's my dog or your dog or all three dogs or whatever um what what do you find yourself having to do most often to to square away your clients once they see that pointing dog? You of have course, to traffic yeah. cop them in a direction or what? Yeah, of course. I usually use uh, hand signals again. I'm you know now that everyone's aware the dog's on point, it's uh going to be a lot of um, hand signals like where I'll get close enough where I can kind of whisper, be like, all right, here we go to the left and downhill and around the dogs. Yeah. And I'll go right into them. And the reason I like to go right into the point, one is I can tap the dog on the head to release them if I uh. think we have birds running. And so well, I, I can slap my knee or tap the dog on the head. and That's a release. And then and then two is if a guy walks right into a dog on point, they're going to get a low straightaway shot right over the dog's head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just not smart to take, but it's hard to resist. Yeah, we all gravitate to the dog when we should make an, mm-hmm. an concerted effort to swing around the dog, right? Of course, yeah. And, you know, I've had people say, well, I'm really good at those low <laughs> straightaway shots. I'm like, okay, well, perfect. Then go 15 feet to the left of the dog. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's really just a, it's a safety thing to just, you know, you hit on it, the etiquette for the dog and all that. Uh, there's just no reason to go right over the back of a dog. And if the birds get up and you're shooting five feet behind the dog, the dog's going to release even a really steady dog. Oh, yeah. You, you see it nine times out of ten, those dogs are get that flush and they're at least even a study dogs at least kind of flinching up to the bird it just doesn't seem too safe what is your expectation in the field and what is your uh to a degree it would be your client's expectation too in terms of steadiness when do you want a dog to break yep so believe it or not i would feel like most people and i are fairly okay with a dog breaking after the flush yeah so, you know, it's it's a fairly normal thing. I I'm okay with it. I do have dogs I, I I work with that I get them fairly steady through the shot. Yeah. 
And then, you know, the dogs that are, I have a dog that is steady even after the shot. I have, I have to really, that uh, Patriot dog, I literally have to go tap her on the head to finally release her. Mm. Uh, <laughs> after the shot. And the, the bird, the bird is running down the hill, wounded, flopping yeah. around, and she's not even releasing. So there's all sorts of arguments to why that's good and bad. And yeah, but, uh, um, what it is good for is those pop the notorious popcorn flush yeah the chuckers yeah you got a dog that still hasn't you know you shot twice and the dog still hasn't broke and you reload and take a couple steps and another bird gets up yeah and you shoot that and another bird gets it and then you can stand in one spot and suddenly you have your limit in in one spot and you're like wow the dog never broke yeah i've heard but at about the same that. time there's <laughs> plenty of plenty of bad reasons to you know to that that you could have for the dog not breaking i'd rather i'd rather i think it's fairly okay and the the clients would agree that you know they find the birds they're steady they do great dog work the birds flush dog breaks they shoot a bird or two they're like wow that was a great dog dog work yeah yeah they're like, oh, the dogs broke after they flushed. So I, I don't think I've ever had someone say that to me. Isn't that funny? You, you know, you never yeah. think about it from that regard. Yeah, no, most people are dazzled. The moment the dog hits the hits the scent cone and stops, uh, it's showtime. Yep, exactly. And even if it's kind of, you get a dog that creeps a little bit and the birds get up. If they're in range, it seems like you've pretty much satisfied your your customer. That yeah. you're like, wow. The, the number one key is to have a dog that hits that scent cone, locks up hard, you know, and, you know, after that you walk in and, and the bird's flush and you, you hit one. And it, it seems that, like, everyone forgets what the dog does after you're yeah. shooting. So oh, Ryan. And that goes back to the retrieving thing. <laughs> they all forget that the dog never even retrieved it. Yeah, I went and grabbed it for you, so... <laughs> It seems like they're like, oh, wow, great dog work. And little did they know I went and picked up the bird. <laughs> no, they're still high-fiving, but that's all right, too. Ryan Awney, Orvis-endorsed guide. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Let, let's cover a couple other things. I, this, this should be my number one question. I promise to work on this, everybody. What is it about chucker hunting that just just yeah, yeah, gets your juices flowing? Oh, it's just uh, there's something thrilling about climbing up on top of those steep rocky hills watching the chuckers run right in front of you and you can't do anything about it and you get all the way to the top and those birds those dang birds they fly right when you crest the hill and they fly all the way down to the bottom where you started so and you're cussing up there and everything you're like all right let's go back down and get them redemption time well, you know, it's absolutely true. There is something to be said for the frustration factor yeah. uh, and and the places you go. I mean, have you ever, uh, I mean, give a moment here. Give me a thought on this because I could, I could talk all day about this and, and, and next time maybe we will. But when you're up there doing that, what, what is, what are some of the things you felt or seen that nobody else gets to see unless they're doing the same, the same thing? Oh, the the first thing that comes to, to mind in Wyoming, and you've experienced Wyoming, is is you, you climb that mountaintop chucker hunting, and even if you're not on the mountaintop, you can see for a hundred miles. Yeah, literally a hundred miles. 
and yeah. you don't see a building. <laughs> you also don't see a tree so <laughs> or another truck. <laughs> but you don't see a you don't see another truck. You don't see it. It's just you and and the countryside. The you, you just feel like you you're so small. The world's just huge. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah. In fact, that's it. Yeah. Uh, we could we could wax philosophic all day on that topic. I remember a spot. It finally hit me. I was looking at three different states from that high spot. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, and there's all of that. And then then there's all the other stuff: the golden eagle nest and the uh, the old miners uh, lean to and things like that that we find all the time. You know, if you if if you were to to tell us to to bring something along on our hunt that you almost always bring unless you, you know, got distracted that normally we wouldn't have in our vest. What would it be? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Hmm. Could be a dog training, dog handling device. It could be, you know, beef jerky. Yeah. No. <laughs> You know the the main that's a good question. The main thing I was that came to mind, and why I paused was, was, I I kind of thought maybe everyone has it, but actually probably not. It's maybe they do. It's uh the really p- strong uh, wire clippers for snares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cable cutters. And cable cutters. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And so the, the the cable cutters is something that I don't think I've ever pulled out. Mm-hmm but I always have it with. Mm-hmm. And I think I would assume, or I started to assume everyone's like that, but I don't, I don't know if they are. Maybe, maybe that's a good point to bring up that it's smart to have that in the, yeah. in, in the bottom of your pack, you know, because a lot of people struggle actually flipping that snare off. Yeah. You can't, uh, especially the cables, you know, the real snare, snare traps, uh, you cannot, cut it most of the time with a standard pair of uh dikes side cutters right you you need that specialized cable cutter and it's a significant investment i think mine were 50 bucks but uh, but uh, they work don't ask why i'm not going to tell you that story but they work (laughs) well and and um you know that that is the kind of stuff that we need to know more about so uh that cable cutters and one more thing we should work on if we're going to be a good client for you what is one more skill we should acquire or one more ability we should have when we show up and you're going to take us hunting yeah so the the main thing i tell people is just to really uh you know be in shape because it's just not a preserve hunt at all mm-hmm. and so that would be the one thing you show up and you can you can walk five to ten miles up and down hills perfect we're gonna we're gonna i mean we're gonna have a great day anyways but yeah that that'll really help that's the number one thing i don't really care how nice your gun is what gun you show up with i don't care your the skills you show up with shooting wise i mean i do but but uh, I feel like that's not all that important. Yeah. I find that most people really don't enjoy their time when they dang near die because they kind of walk two miles up and down the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just it's just weird. It's something you don't think about 
I get the question all the time. They're like, what do I bring? I'm like, just the typical, you know, plan for hot weather, cold weather, you know, have the appropriate footwear, a good pair of boots. That would be a, a good one to add to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but that that would be the one that not many people think about. That's kind of the number yeah. one. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, but like I should probably like we're going to walk, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of the above and more water. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Ryan Ani is with uh, Wyoming Wings and Water. Have I got that right? Um, yeah. Wyoming well, Wings Wyoming and Waters. Wyoming Wings and Waters with an S on yep. the end. Uh, Orvis endorsed pro guide out there. Um mixed bag that most people don't even realize that that wonderful state has uh great information excellent country i'll have to stop by there next time i'm in that area and uh and catch up with you again but in the meanwhile thanks for all the helpful useful tips and thanks for being a part of the upland nation podcast yeah you're welcome it's been a pleasure Well, after all that discussion about uh, how we fuel our dogs, I'll be talking about that in our Handle It segment coming up in just a couple minutes. First off, let me rum, rum, uh, let me get all excited about MidwayUSA.com because they do carry just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. I, I think I mentioned socks in the last podcast, but... You name it, they've got it out there. So if you're looking for something uh, for your summer outdoor activities or dog training supplies or anything in the way of ammo, they've got it and they are willing to ship it quickly. Yeah, they just won the BizRate Platinum Circle of Excellence Award based on customer feedback. MidwayUSA.com, they go above and beyond to provide exceptional service. And you can get some great service and great products from my friends at sagemmbreaker.com. If you're looking for some sort of gun cleaning and gun care consumable, for example, uh, they've got the firearms grease, they've got the CLP, they've got some other stuff in there. And most of it is, uh, you know, kind of the simplest version. Even I I can figure out how to use it and it works extremely well. Now, I encourage you to sign up for the uh, email mailing list over at sageandbreaker.com because they've got new products in the pipeline and you will learn about them before everybody else. Uh, Don't get caught like we all did on that last range bag production run. Sold out very quickly and you don't want to be missing out on some of that. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. Well, um, thank you all for your interest in uh, in that dog energy bar. And yes, I wish I could still stock that and provide it to you. But since I can't, I've been on the on the search for something else that is low volume, high fat, easy to carry, simple, and uh, I found another one. You know, so if you're looking for something that you want to give your dog during the hunt that's actually going to help him perform at his peak, you might want to consider a couple things that that I've experimented with in the last year or so. The first I've mentioned before, raw egg yolks. 
get yourself a couple of those uh, kind of kitty baby food squeeze tubes that you can refill and put a couple egg, egg yolks into one of those. Shake it up so that it's nice and liquidy. Carry that with you and dole it out to your dog over the course of the day. A little bit here, a little bit there. Puts that fat right back into their metabolism. And that is, of course, what they use for energy. It's not like us. We, we thrive in the field on carbohydrates. Uh, dogs thrive on fat. So raw egg yolks the other one though a lot simpler it's a powder it's from an outfit that you can learn more about at bloom b-l-o-o-m products llc.com bloom products llc.com it's called extra bloom weight and extra is you know the way everybody's doing it now capital x t-r-a extra bloom weight and weight is w-a-t-e it is basically powdered fat. Mix it with some water in the same baby food squeeze tube and hand that, well, squeeze that out to your dog over the course of the day. Instant energy, extra bloom weight. Nope, nope, they're not a sponsor. I just really think it works well and it's easy to handle. That's our Handle It segment for this week, brought to you in part by ESPAmerica.com. Handle your hearing yeah, because hearing loss is cumulative and permanent. ESPAmerica.com, you can shop the variety of hearing protection devices. I've just got my new ones. They're digital, they're custom-fitted, comfortable. They stay in even on a chucker hunt. No wind noise, very handy and convenient, and I am taking care of what's left of my hearing. Learn more at ESPAmerica.com. And I use them every time I take a lesson at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. MidValleyClays.com is where you learn more about all the shooting games that they have available to you in Western Oregon. And no matter where you live, take a look in their gun room. They have got a great relationship with many of the manufacturers and importers. So if you can't find what you're looking for there, well, then you maybe probably are looking for something that you will never find. They've got sub-gauges always in stock. They've got some rare and special editions, including a Satori Maple and a Satori Medallion. If they can't find it, you don't need it. Learn more by going to midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks, Ryan Aune, for your help this week on the podcast. If you all would like to learn more about Ryan's operation, go to Wyoming wingsandwaters.com thank you all for leaving a rating or a review and for telling one person about the upland nation podcast of course i thank our sponsors every week because without them we wouldn't be here sage and breaker pointer shotguns pro plan sport from purina espamerica.com Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Jokes, and MidwayUSA.com, and our good friends at LandTrust.com. Of course, if you want more information on any of these topics, there's probably something for you at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Updated on a regular basis, see what you can find there in the way of uh, advice, places to go, you name it. 
Until I see you at the range, I hope to see you here next week at the very same time, same station. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast.